Welcome to the Foundation Podcast. My name is Simone Scott and I'm going to be sharing some South African stories of hope with you. My goal is to give you more information about the great things that people out there are doing to improve our country. Hi everyone. So I have to start today's episode with a bit of a confession. I conducted this interview months ago already and it was intended to be released midway through the year. But let's just say that 2020 kind of happened to that idea. I guess I don't have to tell you that nothing went according to plan this year. And unfortunately, this is one of those things where I had to deviate slightly from what I'd intended to do. But I'm still very excited to be sharing this episode with you now. Today, we'll hear more about the importance of early childhood development, something that I also focused on in season one. Because this isn't only important to the actual child but it also plays an important role in helping to create a better South Africa for us into the future. Mary Fenter from Kulilega, an organization based in Queenstown, was kind enough to make some time for me over a weekend to conduct this interview. She impressed me so much when I managed to meet up with her on one of my road trips between KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape. Not only did she meet me over a weekend, but she also traveled to the guest house where I was staying to do this interview. Luckily, my room had a private lounge area that we were able to use for sound purposes. Anyway, Mary really knows her stuff. Throughout the course of our conversation, she highlights the importance of early childhood development, also referred to as ECD, and why Kululeka focuses on this in particular. She also clarifies why they don't work directly with the children themselves, but instead choose to focus on the communities, organizations and caregivers. Okay, so a little bit of a background history around Kulaleka. Kulaleka is a non-profit organization that works in early childhood development. It's been around for 30 years. Renee King was the founder. She started it in 1989, so it was prior to the apartheid era. So there was a big shift, even if we look at the trends in terms of early childhood development over the last 30 years and what happened in 1994 and how NGOs are being funded, a lot of things have changed. So she's been there through the whole transition. And uh, I must say, I think now going forward, it's very exciting because there's a lot of change that's happening within the sector. Uh, she's now situated in the Eastern Cape, so she's our executive director and I am the managing director and finance director at Kulaleka. And when I say early childhood development, we basically have an array of programs and services that we offer to very rural and disadvantaged families. So whenever we enter into a community, we do a participatory rural appraisal system where we go into the communities, we assess them, we identify those families that are most at risk and most vulnerable because those are the ones that we are wanting to target. Um, we have a community development side and a professional training side. So when we talk about early childhood development, there's a conception that we work directly with the children. We actually don't work with the children, even though we're targeting the naught to five year age range. Okay, it's we deal with the practitioners or the parents or the caregivers that are responsible for those children. Because obviously, in terms of the studies and everything that's happening at the moment, there's a uh, Finally, everybody's coming on board and realizing that you have your highest return on investment in a young child. So your, how you intervene in a child's life between the ages of naught and four sets that child up for the rest of its life. So if you are not intervening at that stage, you can't try any corrective measures that happen after that don't give you the same impact and result. So it's a critical point and it's something that can actually change 
the rest of South Africa and the rest of the economy, if we can focus on that and get the, the products of our children to be of a great value, you're going to see the effect on your economy, you're going to have, see the effect on businesses, you're going to see the effect in terms of the whole country in general. What Mary says makes a whole lot of sense to me. I can completely understand how it be, would be beneficial to intervene early on in a child's life and impart important values and knowledge to them. But practically this can be a problem, especially in a province like the Eastern Cape where there are so many people living far away from towns and therefore far away from creches or schools. But the geographical location or spread is not the only problem. The level of poverty experience in the Eastern Cape is also a pretty big roadblock when it comes to development within this province. So if you look at the stats, Eastern Cape is considered to be the most poverty stricken. If you look at the stats in terms of the number of children, if you look at the poverty ratios, and that's what happens. So Eastern Cape is very rural. I have quite a big discussion because if, like you say, if you do compare to other NGOs in other provinces, they're not as vast and as rural as us, especially within Queenstown. Queenstown, we travel as far as Burgersdorf. So we have to travel, for example, 160 k's before you get to a site. And you're dealing with very small communities who sometimes don't have running water, sometimes don't have access to electricity. They're working in a little makeshift shed type construction. And the thing is, it's exactly what you said. You have and a lot of the time it's not the parents. It is a person in the community that has said, listen, these children are dirty, they are running around, there's nobody that's doing anything, so I will just look after them. But they don't have the backing and the knowledge to provide the correct stimulation for those children. So that is where we intervene. But, so Eastern Cape for us, a lot of the parents, they go to the cities, they need to go and find work and the children are left here. So the children are left with grandparents or left with relatives or, and normally very elderly. So they don't have the time and the skills to be able to look after these children. They don't have the resources. So now and then money will come back, but the money in, in Eastern Cape is very, it's, there's the least amount if you look in terms of the GDP and things that are happening in the economy. So it's a struggling, struggling province. I think droughts hit everywhere hard, water problems have hit everywhere hard. All of those coupled with, if you think of your middle class people who are struggling in terms of not having water, not having electricity, not being able to come out in terms of people that are being retrenched, and then you take it two steps back from that and you look at a very rural perspective. We're talking people that do not have anything, children that haven't eaten they might eat once a day or once in every two days. That is the struggle that we are facing. And yes, some of the other provinces do have it, but also I think the other provinces, and it's not, I, I hate to get into it in terms of this aspect, but I think their, govern, their government structures are working a little bit better. So Eastern Cape, we have a lot of fraud and corruption. So the services that should be getting out to the people aren't getting out to the people. So it's, it's a dire situation um, across all aspects and there's only so much that we can do as a non-profit organization and especially when we are, we try and focus on ECD but when people are facing so many vast challenges that becomes difficult. So we always try to incorporate whether it be some form of a, 
um, food for the children or resource packs. So in a lot of our programs, we do have resource packs. Our first thousand days, we actually do like a new mom's pack where they will at least get some tiling nappies. They will get baby grows. They will get um, wet wipes, creams, you know, odds and ends because some of them have nothing. I mean, I saw a picture the other day and it's, it still haunts me in my mind. One of the moms that was on our first thousand days program, she actually had her baby preterm um, and she was admitted into the hospital. She was there for, I think it was six weeks, but this baby was born at, I think it was about 30 weeks. So she, the baby should have been in hospital far longer. She was sent home with this child and this child was probably still the size, just the biggest size of your hand. And they sent her home. The child couldn't feed, they couldn't do, and she had no clothes for this child. So just that pack that she received from us, and even the baby girl was still too big, but the child had clothes that it could wear because it was wearing clothes that didn't even fit it. It was wrapped in a blanket. So sometimes we are oblivious to what is out there, and it's, it's, it's scary, and that is the reality that we're facing. So I think if we can make a difference and make a change, it's, it's something that we need to try and do. Despite the clear importance of early childhood development when it comes to helping set children up for future success, this hasn't always been considered a professional sector. Mary explains the current drive to professionalize it and the challenges that come along with that. The foundation phase. So now what's happened is they're actually saying no, they're going to issue a degree which is going to be a level six, which is a degree in early childhood development. And we as a non-profit organization is involved in all of these discussions. So we're having discussions with government, we're having discussions with civil society and other NGOs within the sector where we're trying to pull all of our resources and things together to professionalize the sector and say, listen, these people need to be recognized. They are the ones for molding our children. They are the ones to give us the benefit at the end of the day in terms of how our children are going to be looked after and raised. Because if you think about it, your children spend how much time within a school setting and, and it's becoming younger and younger because parents are working, they're needing to send them to some form of a school. And the way you stimulate a child between your different stages it's very important. So there's a whole shift in terms of the professionalization of the sector because previously working with children, especially young age children, working in, for example, grade R, now they're instituting two compulsory years of prior to schooling, prior school learning, uh, which is grade RR, they, they didn't recognize it as a proper qualification. Now they're saying no. You know, these people who are teachers, who are training our children, need to have a proper qualification because you couldn't go to university and study a degree in early childhood development. If you think about it, your children spend how much time within a school setting and, and it's becoming younger and younger because parents are working, they're needing to send them to some form of a school. And the way you stimulate a child between your different stages is very important. So you have some extremes where people are wanting children to read at four years old, which is it's not, it should not be happening. Your play-based learning has the biggest impact in terms of a child's development. You know, theory of play and how you initiate that play with that child. Then you have um, some that can't read by the time they get to grade four. And that's where South Africa is sitting at. Our education gap is so vast because these children are not having the intervention early enough because also parents and caregivers aren't seen to have, it's not their role and responsibility. They send them to school to do it. But as a parent, it is our responsibility to stimulate our children and in the appropriate way. You 
always have these images in your head of these little children that are running around, no shoes, no, you know, dirty, full of sand. And that is literally the picture because they are playing outside. They don't have any form of stimulation. You know, our children, we've got books, we've got this, we've got toys, we've got, and they don't have access to that. So they make an improvised sort of a situation um, and they play with whatever's lying around but sometimes that can be dangerous so yeah they they really they don't have in that sense but it's about teaching a parent I mean you can use general household things just modeling play sweeping a room busy playing with an iron um, pretending to iron clothes or pretending to dress a doll or a teddy or basic household daily chores cooking food from two years old you can teach them how to cook they can play with a pot and a pan um, but a lot of the time the concept is as adults and parents the children must be outside they must be playing and you aren't interacting at that level so that's why parent involvement is so important as Mary speaks I start to understand why Kululeka doesn't just work directly with the children themselves it's clear that there's such a need for an organization like this one that works both into the community at large as well as specifically with the ECDs and their staff. She explains a bit more about exactly what their work entails and the different programs they run. This is quite a bit to take in, but one that particularly stood out to me was their first thousand days program. We have our community development. Community development, we deal primarily with working with caregivers and with parents. So we have an infant and toddler parent support program. We have a program we've actually just written. We developed it last year called Our First Thousand Days. And that is the concept of naught, uh, from conception to two. So it's all around health and nutrition, pregnancy, because a lot of the, uh, the people that we're dealing with, they don't understand the importance of how they're stimulating that child at, even from a baby stage or even how they're looking after themselves during pregnancy and if we can try and resolve that it's putting them on the best building block that they can then we have other programs which are non-center based such as our smart start program so smart start is quite a big program it's a franchise which we are a part of we were involved we helped in terms of the development of the materials and the program that was utilized and it's a non-center based play group program and that is for your three to four year olds so two to three times a week they should get together in sort of a play group setting and then they have different activities and things in terms of how you can stimulate children at that age as well as an involvement in terms of how you're getting parents involved then we have a family home visiting program. Now that's a program where we really do focus on, we go into a community and we select 10, fam 10 households that are really they, the poorest of the poor. And we work with them and we have CDPs, which are community development practitioners, which we identify within an area and they receive a small stipend for the work that they're doing. And they go and they do house calls and they have, then we incorporate smaller programs like Every Word Counts for literacy and numeracy and different aspects. So very broad, we've got um, a number of different programs that we run for, and, and majority, like I say, everything is obviously centered around the child because we feel that that is 
that is where most of the need is. Unfortunately, it's somewhere as South Africa that I think we've been lacking um, as a country. We haven't seen the value in terms of the importance of it. We think that it starts at school and it actually starts uh, long before then. So we offer also, in terms of professional training, a high scope orientation program. Now, high scope is basically the methodology that us as Kulaleka adopts. The, the principles and, and policies in terms of how we work with children. So high scope is an approach which has been adopted from the US and it is child-centered, so it's child-initiated. So it's very different to some of the other um, methodologies such as Montessori and those sort of things where our, if you go, come into our school we have our high scope demonstration preschool actually at Kulaleka where we use it for our practitioners so our practitioners that are on courses then come and they observe so that they can see a high quality program in action and they can practical teach where they can get on the job sort of training and mentoring and support to say right if this is how you're implementing or this is how you resolving a conflict with the child and how you plan for your daily routine so uh, high scope is something that I think makes us slightly different but every organization has that so you can't say that one is better than the other it's just an approach which we find because of its evidence base and the fact that it shows that it does have a, a big impact on children we decided to choose that approach and we've been doing it for since 2006. It's clear that Kululega does a lot of work into the sector and that there's a very good reason for this because of the high stakes. As Mary explained, these younger children are our country's future after all. But the fact that the sector is now being professionalized, which recognizes the importance of the work being done by ECDs, actually complicates Kululeka's work quite a bit. Listening to Mary speak on the subject, it becomes clear to me that there are so many different types of ECDs out there that a one-size-fits-all approach simply wouldn't work. So government, because government's now on, on board, just an example is if ECD sites aren't meeting certain criteria, they're going to close them down. And then what happens to those children? And they're saying, okay, people have to have formal qualifications, but then the problem is you having people who are 50, 60-year-olds who are working with the children. You cannot deprive them the access to knowledge and training programs because they don't have a matric and they won't meet the criteria to enter into a program. So we feel very strongly that you do. Yes, we can professionalize the sector and show the importance and the value, but you're going to have two very different cohorts in terms of practitioners that you're dealing with and families that you're dealing with. So you've got to scaffold it, and that's why we have the different programs because you have to be dealing with, as we say, from conception all the way through until your five-year-olds before they enter into their formal schooling and how that needs to marry across. So you can't have these big gaps in terms of their learning. In my work, I've met plenty of inspirational women who run ECDs. Many of them are older women who are seeing a problem in their community and responding to it by creating a haven for local children, a place they can come and play so that they don't have to play on the street. What is becoming clear in my conversation with Mary, though, is that professionalizing the ECD sector could make it difficult for these wonderful elderly women to continue doing their important work.
That is our biggest problem that we faced with. So we are trying to get as many sites registered as possible, but in order to get, because then they get a DSD subsidy, and then that can go towards feeding the children or salaries towards the staff. Um, but a lot of the times it is, it's somebody that has the passion and the love, and they're not getting any form of remuneration for it, which is very difficult because how do you, at the end of the day, everybody's got to survive. That is what it comes down to. But parents cannot afford to pay it. So. That's also why children are being kept out of a lot of these programs because they're saying, but I can't afford to send my child. So it's such a problem because it's, it's this vicious cycle that we're sitting in where you need people to be trained. You need ECD sites because there's so many children that don't have access, but the parents can't afford to pay for that, that access. So government's coming on board by, by the fact that they are wanting to provide subsidies but now your criteria that you have to meet in order to qualify to get that subsidy makes it very difficult because as you said it is the old goggles that are sitting in their house and saying oh, they've seen six or seven children that are all busy playing and it becomes dangerous the risk for children to be running around and and you know they get involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in they basically taking them off the streets and then we wanting to just provide them with the training and the skills so that they can make an impact on that child's life. Kululeka may be based in Queenstown, but they have a much larger footprint. They work with quite a few different ECDs in their area and they even have a national reach. So we've worked all over. We, as I say, we've got a national put footprint as well as a provincial footprint and then a local footprint. That's how I differentiate it. So national is more of us working on forums and committees to basically inform best practice within the sector and provincially as well. So we sit on a lot of um, department boards and, and, and forums and committees to try and give back to say right we want to provide basically assistance to government and say this is the direction we've got 30 years of experience in terms of working in ECD we know what should be given in terms of a program or support or things and we want to be that backing plate then in terms of reach in terms of on the ground we we actually do do some work in Gauteng we have consultant trainers there. We have done work as far as Craddock, Raffinet, Burgersdorp. So it is, it's purely Eastern Cape because you can't go too far because the logistics of trying to control it and, and look after it. So I would say within a 200 kilometer radius from Queenstown, sort of surrounding areas. We're now going to be working in Cathcart, which is about 50 Case, Cathcart Stutt, possibly looking at working in King. So it's it's areas that we have identified. And then we do a lot of the villages. So when I'm talking towns, I'm trying to give you areas that you can relate to and identify. But we deal with wards normally. And the wards are obviously within different districts. And then you have a number of villages within those wards. So, and those can be take you an hour before you get to your site an hour and a half before you get to your site so that becomes difficult because you've got so much traveling before you even get to to the actual households and villages many people have obviously benefited from kululeka's services over the years but i asked mary to share one of her favorite success stories with us to give us an even better idea of what they actually do 
So I'd love to share a story about, it's actually a project that we've just done. It's in Burgersdorp, a small town. It was comprised, it comprises of three sort of villages around the Burgersdorp community. And we were approached by Skatex Solar. So they're a corporate company. They deal with um, solar energy. So, um, and they approached us because in terms of their CSR funding, they wanted an organization that they could fund, but they wanted to fund to give back to the community in which they operate. And it allowed us an opportunity to do an all-encompassed integrated approach in this community. So we were able to go into the community and say, and do an assessment and because obviously everything's dependent on funding so as great as it's to say we can change a community you can't change it without the funding that's available so we are limited normally because resources are limited but this was an opportunity where they said to us give us your assessment tell us what this community needs and we want to see the change so it was very exciting for us and we were approved a three-year grant where we worked in the community and we did the full array of our services. So we did from our professional training through to our community development. And what happened is a forum was developed because we are strong believers that the community has to take responsibility for the programs that we are running. It can't be a case of Kulaleka going in and instituting what we feel they need. They have to take ownership because otherwise you do not have long lasting and, and, um, sustainable change so they developed a forum it's called the Sonaco ECD forum and they are responsible now for basically the children in Burgersdorp and they have come together as a community we have every person from every department so whether it be Department of Social Development Department of Education Department of Health um, Black Business Forum we have South African Police Service, we have all the different and intersectoral finally approach that has happened, which you don't hear of because that's a big struggle we have. You don't have department working with education or even just to get DSD, um, Department of Social Development and Department of Basic Education to work together. It's a nightmare. They don't want to work together. They're like, this is my department, that's my department. But they should be because they need to be linked. So, and they were able to pool their resources. So what ended up happening is they'd started a big back to school campaign and they started to walk the streets and pull in children and they said, right, we are getting all the children off the streets. And when we first assessed there, there were 1,800 children which we said were not in a form of early childhood development setting. They weren't in schools or they were roaming the streets. I mean, we had situations when we first arrived then we were just doing our PRA process that children were playing in dump sites and it was dirty and it was it really was a dire strait and the alcohol problem there was very very bad so you had a lot of your caregivers that were just sitting in taverns the whole day drinking and we started to do parent workshops and we started to do capacity building workshops where we were dealing with individuals to capacitate them to take ownership of their community and the transformation that has happened has been astonishing. It's the first time that we've actually got it right in terms of a multi-sectoral approach where government and other civil society organizations have come on board within a community and they have made the shift. We've been the catalyst, yes, and we've provided them with the skills, 
but they have now taken ownership. So we haven't been in the in the community now for just over a year. Our grant ended and we are now in the process of putting a further grant forward where we're mainly going to be doing capacity building. But they're still running. They're still involved in the children. The children, I think the last bit of stats that we were able to achieve, I think we met about a 1,500 quota in terms of the children that are now receiving some form of stimulation or education or impact from this program. So it's been amazing. Uh, I actually want to share you, we published a book. That's what we decided to do for our 30th birthday celebration. We thought it was something that we wanted to document and say, we believe that we do have an approach and we have the skills and the capabilities to make a change. And here is a model, because that's also the problem. In our sector, people are looking for a model. They want a model that they can take and just go and replicate, because it becomes difficult to, to run different programs, because every organization's got different programs. Whereas if you've got a model and a structure that you can offer to somebody that they can just go and say, well, if I roll this out in this form and manner, I'm going to get the same results. So we published a book um, and it's called Through, Our, Through Their Eyes. And it's a story about, and it's a story that is told through the Burgersdorp community's eyes. So the change that they have seen happen. And it's amazing. I actually want to share, I want to post you a book. I unfortunately don't have a copy with me, but I'd love for you to see it. And it was just to to show the impact that has been happening. So now what we're doing is we're actually going to take that approach and we're going to government and we're saying to government, listen, this is what can work because this is the change that we have seen that's happened. And it's amazing. It's really, it's one of the, the few, not the few, we've got so many success stories in terms of parents and caregivers and even children that have come back. And that's what we're starting to do now is a bit of a child tracking to see if we have a child that enters and we have them in this program, what is that impact? How do we quantify it? How do we evaluate it? And that's why there's been a big shift around ME, which is monitoring and evaluation. So how do you evaluate it rather than just stats and saying we impacted on a thousand children? It's saying what was the quantifiable difference in that child's life? How have they improved? How's their literacy improved? How's their numeracy improved? Uh, and how is that setting them up for later on in life? And so, yeah, we've got lovely success stories and case studies. So we often do case studies in terms of, and I think a majority of the time it's our, our family home visiting and community development work where you really see that sort of an impact and a change, especially even in terms of our gardens. Uh, the gardens are a fantastic resource. So we try and do gardens across the ECD sites as well as within households and families. We teach them how to preserve food. So, yeah. Mary and I have something in common. We both felt that our careers were lacking that something special. If you're listening to this podcast, you might feel the same way. For me, the solution to that problem came by starting this side project you're listening to now. Meeting all of these inspirational people like Mary, hearing and then telling their stories, it just means so much to me. Because of that, I truly believe that most of us will be able to find a way to add that bit of meaning to our lives, even if we don't find it in our full-time occupations the way Mary did. So, 
yeah, I was just, I think I was fortunate because I've, I think I've fallen in love with it because I can finally feel like I am making a change. And it's something that you said, I mean, our country is facing very difficult times and we need to be the catalysts. We need to say, instead of moaning, as you say about, oh, we don't have power, we don't have this. We also in a fortunate situation because there are people that have far less than what we have. So I like to think I'm, I'm a realist, but a realist with, while being optimist, optimistic in terms of certain um, aspects. I'm actually from Peter Marisburg in KZN. So, uh, but I've been in the Eastern Cape now for 10 years. I actually have an auditing and a finance background. I'm a qualified accountant. And I was approached by Renee about five years ago when her finance director retired. And for me, it came down to, I always wanted, my job lacked something. I loved finance and I still do love finance and figures, but I did want to see something that I could give back. And I felt like my job was sort of lacking. So when she approached me, it was a very different shift, you know, moving from finance sector into an NGO setting and even early childhood development. So I've had to learn a lot uh, over the last five years. I think I've still got a lot to learn. And yeah, it, it just naturally emerged with Renee reaching retirement. I think a lot of the NGOs are facing this critical point because they're having a lot of the people that founded the organization reaching a point of retirement and they're needing to find somebody that can take over that role in terms of responsibilities and managing. Because what happens is when you do have a new leader that steps into a position, it can mean that the organization can you know, crumble because the previous director has developed all those relationships and it's a face-to-face -face value. If what you've heard today struck a chord with you and you would like to get involved or help Kululega in some way, there are a few different ways that you can get involved. So for us, it's not all about funding. You know, yes, we need money to operate, but we also, a big component that I haven't uh, spoken about is our making early learning resources and we make it out of waste material. So we actually have a waste management program where we teach our practitioners to make toys and equipment out of waste materials because that is a, a big thing, you know. They don't have access to resources, they don't have access to equipment. So we have a lot of people that it's as simple as don't throw out that old empty box, bring it to us. You know, we, we're looking for those sort of elements. But also, even if you want to come and volunteer your time, we have a lot of people that come and they volunteer time in the demonstration school or they volunteer time in the, the waste room and they make resources. Sometimes we have kids from the schools that come over and we'll teach them how to practically make resources. Um, but it's, it's anything. So whether it be time, whether it be actually resources that you'd like to buy. So we do do packs, like I said, for the first thousand days. We even do toy equipments. We do books, um, book packs. We do a lot of different things that can happen. Um, for, for us, it's what you would be willing to give. So whether it be time, if it is a small donation in terms of cash, that is greatly appreciated, but it doesn't always have to be a monetary uh, amount. Anything that you have lying around at home, old clothes, it'll all go to, to a very good cause. My meeting with Mary opened my eyes to quite a few different things. I realised the important role that training plays 
and helping those who work with young children. It really is quite interesting that in the past, formal education wasn't required to perform this important role in a child's life. I'd never really thought about that before. Probably mainly because my own pre-primary days likely also weren't spent with qualified teachers. But I loved school back then. The ladies who instructed us at our small town school put in a lot of effort and my time there was a lot of fun. I was also lucky to have a mother at home who spent a lot of time with me, teaching me things and reading to me. This meant that I was already pretty school ready even when I started attending play school as we call it back then. But sadly not everyone is as lucky as I was. Many parents have to work and can only see their children for a short time in the evenings. These parents therefore rely heavily on school to help teach their kids the basics. And although parents clearly still need to play a role in their children's development, as Mary pointed out, she also made the very valid point that children are spending so much more time at school these days because of their parents' busy work schedules. As I discovered in Season 1, ECDs play a vital role in South African society. Quality childcare is a particularly urgent need in lower income groups where people work long hours to put food on the table. That's why it's important for organizations like Kululeka to exist. They do great work. I mean, through their First Thousand Days program, they teach new parents how to care for themselves and their babies. And because of their training programs, many small ECDs will now be able to better look after and teach the young children in their care. Foundation was created by me, Simone Scott, with original music created by Wayne Charles Simpson. Mm -hmm.